getting advice can be a great idea. There are times in our lives where getting advice and soliciting advice can really help. It can be a great idea. It's a great way to approach a problem that you're not dealing with it alone. You're not using your own thoughts. You're not using your own uh, experiences solely, but you're also relying on other people's experiences. Uh, a great way to figure out how to do things better is to get advice from other people. But one thing that's always important when receiving advice is the advice giver. Who is it that you're asking advice from? You've heard the phrase, consider the source. You know, it's a very important principle uh, when it comes to getting advice from other people. You need to consider the source before you get advice. Sometimes people know what they're talking about and they're speaking from personal experience. Sometimes they're speaking from past mistakes that they've learned from, and we can go to school on someone else's mistakes instead of making our own. That's a great way to learn. But other times though, people speak out of ignorance. And we have to be very careful about the advice that we take to heart when somebody doesn't know what they're talking about. So be careful and weigh that. Uh, when we listen to the ignorance of people around us, and I'm talking, not talking about ignorant in a negative sense, I'm just talking about ignorant in they don't know any better. But when we listen to the ignorance of those around us, we can start believing things about us or about our circumstances that simply isn't true. There's no truth to it. And their ignorance for the reality of the situation, can it can deceive us, it can mislead us, even if they have good intentions. And I'm not saying everybody who gives you bad advice is trying to mislead you or trying to lead you down a different, a wrong path. They just don't know any better. And we just eat up bad advice sometimes. And we need to be extremely cautious about people that try to tell us to do something or how we should feel about something that they have no knowledge about. You know, it's like asking a butcher to teach you how to build a rocket. It's probably not going to help you. Um, not that most of us have a need to build a rocket, but you get the principle. Uh, or let me give you an example that's, that hits a little bit closer to home for me. Uh, we have seven children. We have seven great kids. Anyone else maybe have multiple kids? You know, it's an adventure on a regular basis. Uh, and don't you just love when people who don't even have any kids yet give you parenting advice? That's always fun, isn't it? Um, and I've had, you know, I've had people who have no kids who say to me something like, you know, you should really try to stick to strict bedtime for your kids. It, it really will help. They'll have much better attitudes. And I'm sitting here going, come on, man. Like they have the best intentions, right? But they have no real experience. They have no knowledge of the situation. And they're trying to speak into my life circumstances. And they're, for lack of a better word, they're ignorant of what we deal with as parents. And now if you have seven kids, bring it, feel free, speak into our lives. We want to hear it. I, I want to hear about those people who have 10 kids, you know, and they're still making it work. Uh, Melissa watches some YouTube people and they got like nine, 10, 12 kids and they're, you know, they're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, man, what in the world? Uh, I, I want to know what they know. And the same holds true. Uh, we need to be careful and evaluate the source of who we're getting advice from. It's important. So when we're looking for advice on how we should be living as followers of Jesus, we need to consider the source. And so in this series that we're going through right now, we're talking about Paul, the apostle. 
And he's writing here in this passage that we've been going through and we'll continue to. He's writing to the church in Philippi to help them know how to live as followers of Jesus. Most of Paul's epistles uh, have that intention of helping these early churches know how to live as a follower of Jesus. And sometimes he's bringing correction. Sometimes he's encouraging. Sometimes he's just laying out principles for how they should be living their lives and what kind of habits that they should have. And Paul backs it up. Uh, he walks the talk. Paul is not just throwing stuff out there and speaking out of ignorance. Paul backs up and lives out everything that he's challenging these churches to do. He is the kind of life that he's challenging them to live. So much so that he writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ, or as, or as I uh, quote that verse all the time, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. Now, that's some chutzpah right there, okay? I mean, that really is some serious, man, to be able to make that claim and throw that statement out there, but not in a bad way. Sometimes you use that term in a bad way, like, man, well, who do they think they are? But Paul really lived it out. So when he gives us direction, we need to be paying attention. We need to understand that when Paul speaks, we need to be listening. Well, that the fact that his life backed it up, but also the fact that he wrote under the anointing and the direction of the Holy Spirit, that's another reason that we need to pay attention to the writings of Paul. But that's, uh, that's a, they're both really good reasons to consider the source and say, okay, Paul knows what he's talking about. This is the advice that I need to apply to my life. I need to take, I need to live this out. But let's look at this next set of instructions that he has this morning that he gives here in this really practical passage. We're going to look at Philippians 4 verses 4 and 5 this morning. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do and remember the Lord is coming soon. These are three different but very interrelated commands that Paul gives us here. And that's what we're going to look at for the next few minutes. Be full of joy. Be considerate and let others see you're considerate. And be mindful that the Lord is coming through, coming soon. Paul's first command here is really pretty simple. There's nothing complicated about be full of joy. There's nothing complicated about that command on the surface, but really that's where its simplicity ends. And I think you'll understand when I say this, always be full of joy in the Lord seems pretty simple in principle, but it's devastatingly hard in the execution. It's really pretty simple in principle. At face value, be full of joy in the Lord is pretty simple. But man, can that be a struggle to execute well and to live that out every day of our lives. This is one of the most difficult commands in this entire passage to obey consistently. And that's the thing. It's not just to apply it's to obey because this is a command. This is not a good idea. This is not a suggestion. This is a command that Paul gives us. Be filled with joy in the Lord. 
So why is this so hard? Because we are emotional beings who are far too often driven by our emotions. And I consider this command, be filled with joy in the Lord, to be the same as love your enemies. Love your enemies, as Jesus told us, is not something that we have to be emotionally attached to. It's not something that we feel like this overwhelming urge to love our enemies. We feel just overwhelmingly positive about who they are. No, love is not an emotion. It's a decision. Happiness is an emotion. You know, uh, passion is an emotion. But on the other side, I think joy is as much a decision as love is a decision. Joy is a decision we need to make. It's a mindset we need to have. Happiness is an emotion that's going to change with our circumstances. But joy is a conscious decision that we make to make, take captive our thoughts and make them obedient to Christ and live with joy and be filled with joy in the Lord. I think there's a reason that this is the only command in this entire passage that gets repeated. He says, I say it again, just in case you missed it the first time, just in case you thought that I was just throwing this out there. No, I repeat this command to you, rejoice. Why is it repeated? I think it's because we tend to forget this one immediately when we're dealing with difficult people or the upsetting problems in life. When Paul says, be full of joy, he's not talking about happiness. He's not talking about a positive mental attitude. You know, this is not put on a happy face, make the best of it, or look for the silver lining when you've got dark clouds around you. The rejoicing that he has on, in mind here is not based on our external circumstances. It's not based on what's happening in our lives at that given moment. That's crucial because the things that we deal with in life can be depressing. The things that we deal with in life can easily get us down. They can cause us to experience negative emotions. So it's not about having a positive emotional response to negative circumstances in our lives. I mean, where was Paul when he wrote these words? Paul is in a Roman prison chained to Roman guards 24 hours a day. That's where Paul's sitting as he writes this letter. He was on trial for his life with no certain hope of release. And I, I take it that Paul didn't enjoy being in prison. This wasn't something people enjoyed. But he found reasons to rejoice even in that difficult circumstance. And this wasn't the first time that Paul found himself in prison either. In fact, the recipients of this letter in Philippi, they knew Paul's history. They remembered how their church got started. Paul and Silas were locked in the dungeon of the jail there in Philippi, and at midnight, Paul and Silas were rejoicing in the Lord. Middle of the night, locked in jail, and they start rejoicing. They start having a worship session. They had been beaten with rods. They were in chains. But in the middle of the night, a prayer meeting turned into a praise service that woke up all the other prisoners. The praise led to an earthquake, and the earthquake disturbed the balance of the bars and the gates, and suddenly the prison doors had flown open, and they were set free. And the jailer there, who thought that his life was over because he had screwed up, he was about to take his own life when Paul stopped him and said, no, we're right here. We haven't gone anywhere. And now the jailer, 
his wife, his children, they're all now members of First Community Church of Philippi. That wasn't the real name, but I made that up. But when Paul tells them they need to be filled with joy, they know that he is serious because he's lived it out. He has modeled this for them. They've seen firsthand what it looks like to always be filled with joy. So to Paul, rejoicing during difficult circumstances was an expression of faith. And he's right. Anyone can rejoice when things are going well. I can rejoice when I like what is happening to me or what is happening around me. But what about when things are going bad? Can I still always be filled with joy in the Lord? When Billy Graham was 80 years old, and he's obviously uh, gone to be with the Lord, but when Billy Graham was 80 years old, he was interviewed by Larry King. And Dr. Graham had been through a number of major health problems at this point in his life leading up to that interview. And he'd undergone several really difficult operations and difficult recovery and now had received a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. And so how did Billy Graham feel about the prospect of his own death, he was asked by Larry King. And this is what he said. He says, oh, I'm not afraid to die. In fact, I'm looking forward to it. I wish that day would hurry up and get here. And then he was asked, what does he expect will happen when he dies? And he said, when I die, an angel is going to take me by the hand and lead me into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, when Larry King asked him how he felt about having Parkinson's disease, Dr. Graham replied, and you can, you can just hear his Carolina drawl uh, as, you, as you hear these words. He replied, I feel great about it. It's been a wonderful experience. I believe the Lord has many lessons to teach me through this disease. Now, what is that mindset? I'm pretty sure that Billy Graham had worked out in his heart and mind what it means to be always be filled with the joy in the Lord. He was always filled with joy in the Lord, regardless of his circumstances, regardless of what was happening to him. He had made the choice. He had made the decision that I will rejoice regardless of what is happening to me or around me. And I'm going to give you a little bit of homework as a practical way to apply this message, okay? Sometime this week, take a sheet of paper, take out your phone, start a note, and write at the top reasons to rejoice today. And then give yourself just five or 10 minutes and list as many reasons as you can think of to rejoice in the Lord. I did that, and here's the list I came up with in about five minutes, okay? Here we go. I have a savior. My sins are forgiven. I have an amazing church family. I have the word of God to guide me, the Holy Spirit to lead me and to empower me. I have a wife who loves me. I have five incredible sons. I have two beautiful daughters. I have good health. I have enough money to pay the bills. All of my family loves Jesus. I have people who pray for me on a regular basis. I have a new home that we're just about to start building. Coffee. And when I die things get better, not worse. That's just five minutes of things that I was able to jot down. These are reasons I have to rejoice in my life. And we all have things in our lives to be filled with joy about. But then let me remind you, your joy should not be conditional on those things. They're reasons, but our joy is in the Lord, not in our lives. 
even when the opposite seems to be true. Be filled with joy in the Lord. And be filled is the verb here, but the Lord is the object of the preposition. We are to be filled with joy in the Lord. We can rejoice always when we rejoice in the Lord. When Paul was in the Philippian jail, he was not rejoicing over being beaten. He was not rejoicing over being in chains. He was rejoicing in spite of those things. The object of his joy was not what was happening around him. The object of his joy was Jesus. He was rejoicing in the Lord, not in his circumstances. And here's the thing. If our joy is in Jesus and not our circumstances, we can always rejoice. If our joy is in Jesus and not our circumstances, we can always rejoice. And it's our responsibility to help one another through the times when this becomes challenging. This is part of our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're here to encourage and challenge one another. Give someone a reason to rejoice. My biggest champion in this regard is Melissa. When I'm struggling or when I'm fixated on my circumstances, she's always able to pull me above the cloud cover to, to be able to see Jesus clearly again. And I'm pretty sure she would say the same thing about me, that I'm able to do that for her. And it's not just husbands and wives who do this for each other. We're all family in the church, and we need to make sure that we're there to fill this important role for one another. Now, the second command that Paul gives us after rejoice is, is to let everyone see that you are considerate. Let everyone see that you are considerate. The Greek word that the New Living Translation translates as considerate is arguably the most debated translated word in the New Testament. Um, the New American Standard Bible translates it spirit. Uh, another translation says moderation. The NIV says gentleness. The ESV says reasonableness. Uh, Holman says graciousness. Wycliffe says patience. Tyndale says softness. Uh, the Geneva Bible says patient mind. So, I mean, there's all sorts of different concepts and translations to try to bring this Greek thought into English. Um, another translation says uh, a man who will meet you halfway. You know, I'll always let others see that you are a man who will meet them halfway. Uh, listen to the way Eugene Peterson uh, it makes it clear in the message. He's, he translates this verse this, make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. That's, that's his take on this this principle and how to translate it best into English. So obviously there's a lot of ways to rephrase this, a lot of ways to bring it about. Uh, the New Living Translation that we're looking at this morning says, consider it. But literally in the Greek, it refers to a person who does not claim their legal rights in order to show mercy to someone else. That, that's pretty much the opposite of what most people in our culture live out, isn't it? I mean, we are all about our rights and what our rights should be, and standing on our rights. Uh, this phrase was used most often in the forgiving of debts. In other words, a considerate person, as Paul writes, is one who will yield his right of way. Legally, he's in the right, but he gives you his position, his place, his turn. He forgives your debt. A considerate person is the one, here, here's a modern day take, 
is the one who motions for you to go first at the four-way stop when you arrive at the same time. Now we're really stepping on some toes because that, that's just crazy talk right there. But this quality of being considerate or having an inner calmness is especially needed in two situations in life. When you're dealing with someone who's driving you nuts and when you feel yourself about to lose control. And those two are often related, aren't they? I mean, those two go together, they're hand in hand. Uh, but in that moment, when you feel the mercury rising and you know that very soon you will say or do something that you will probably regret later or that the Lord's not gonna be happy with, that's when you need to ask God for a gentle spirit. That's when you need to ask him. And so here's a simple question that I want you to ask yourself this morning. Would the people who know you best consider you a gentle person? Would the people who know you best consider you a gentle person? Would that word even pop into their minds when they think about you? Or let's make the question even more difficult. Would the people you like least consider you a gentle person? Because that's the real test. Anyone can be gentle around nice people. Anyone can be considerate around nice people, but only the Holy Spirit can enable us to respond gently to people who mistreat us or believe differently than we do or we consider to be our enemies. Because being inwardly considerate isn't what Paul asks of us, isn't it? It, he doesn't ask us, you know, be considerate towards others. No, he says, let other people see. Let everyone see that you are considerate. He just assumes that we're going to be considerate because that's how we should act as followers of Jesus. The command here is not to be considerate. It's to let everyone see that you are considerate. It needs to be evident. And here's a really important principle that I think we all need to really stop and pause and look at ourselves sometimes and see if this is true. Because what God does on the inside is only relevant if it makes an appearance on the outside. What God does on the inside is only relevant if it makes an appearance on the outside. Now that's a tough one, isn't it? And we want to push back against it, don't we? And say, no way, what happens inside is far more important. I didn't say important. I didn't even talk about the importance level. I said relevant. It's only relevant if it makes an appearance on the outside. It has to make a difference where it can make a difference, which is on the outside. And the concept there is very biblical. That, that's why we're commanded to be baptized. Baptism doesn't make any inward transformation. It's external evidence of what has already happened, what has taken place on the inside. We're commanded to be baptized to show the world, to let people around us know it's an outward sign of inward transformation. So when Paul says, let it be evident to all that you are considerate, he's saying, hey, let that be an out outward evidence of that inward transformation that the Holy Spirit has done in you. There should be evidence in our lives of what God has done in our lives. And finally, at the end of this, Paul charges us to remember that the Lord is coming soon. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. And it seems almost somewhat disconnected from the other two commands, doesn't it? I mean, rejoice, always be filled with the joy of the Lord. Uh, always let everyone see that you are considerate. 
And remember that the Lord is coming soon. It kind of seems like an afterthought or a disconnected, like maybe new paragraph, Paul. Did you forget to put some spaces in there? But this statement is really what ties everything together. We can rejoice because Jesus is coming soon. We need to have good attitudes towards others because the Lord is coming soon. We need to show others his love through our actions and our attitudes because the Lord is coming soon. And we need to give as many people as possible the opportunity to discover his love for them. The, the fact that Jesus is coming soon raises the urgency level of everything. And let's not forget, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, okay? And so if Paul reminded them, his audience 2,000 years ago, that Jesus was coming back and that there should be an urgency to the way in which they live, how do you think it should affect us 2,000 years later? where the signs of the return of Christ are everywhere around us. When we read through the prophetic scriptures that talk about Jesus coming back and we can check box after box after box after box and look around and say, yeah, that's happening. Yeah, that's happening. When things are happening like this, look to the skies. Yeah, that's happening right now. Folks, nothing more needs to happen for Jesus to return. All the prophetic scriptures that usher in the return of Christ have already taken place. So it could happen any day. We need to live as if that's true. And that's why Paul writes this scripture on the heels and right buried in the middle of this really practical passage on what it means to live for Jesus. And then at the, at the same time as he's saying all these practical tips, he says, and remember, he's coming back soon. Because that is what connects it all. It's because he's coming back soon that we need to have urgency about this. There should be an exponential component to our faith and to our expression of God's love towards the people around us. Last night, as we gathered for our 21 days of prayer at 645, uh, we prayed for new stories in people's lives. We prayed for people to come to faith in Christ. We prayed for the lost to get saved. And last year, uh, 2020, was unique for our church as well as every other church. Uh, and we're still in the same situation of being primarily online for our Sunday gatherings. We have our two house gatherings and totally open to more. We'd love to see that happen. We'd love to see more of you join at, at those house uh, gatherings that we already have. But we're still in that same situation of being primarily online for our Sunday gatherings. And because of that, because all of 2020 was that way, we didn't see the same number of decisions for Christ that we've seen in years past. We didn't see people making those faith decisions that we've seen. And I just want you to hear my heart as your pastor. That frustrates me. That frustrates me huge, not at you, but at our circumstances. That really frustrates me because that's not why I'm in ministry. I'm a pastor to see life change, to see people meet, follow, and grow in their relationship with Jesus. That's why I do what I do. That's why I gave up other opportunities in life to, to follow God's calling in ministry. I'm praying hard right now, and it's my primary focus of my fast this year, that God shows us ways to reach people, new and different ways to reach people with the gospel in 2021. That we're going to see a harvest of souls in 2021 like we've never seen before. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. And that has to start with me, and it has to start with you. Not in a service, but in our driveways. 
Not through an invitation to church, but an invitation to dinner. Through our conversations, through our attitudes, through our joy, and most importantly, through our love. Guys, it is more important than ever that we are living outward, that there is external evidence of what God has done internally in our lives. It's more important than ever that we are vocal about our faith. It's more important than ever that we're sharing what God is doing in our lives, that those new stories that God is writing in us become shared stories so that other people can experience new stories in their lives. It has to happen. And as we, as we lead people into a relationship with Jesus, as we lead people into that process of discovering God's love for them, we can invite them to join us to, to watch the service. We can invite them to one of the house gatherings uh, to become a part of community. We can invite them to those things. But it, the invitation shouldn't be the primary driver of evangelism. It should be what God is doing in you and how he's transforming you, and let that be what is attractive to the people around us. That as they're living in fear, as they're living in confusion, as they're experiencing uncertainty, as we talked about last week, we can be confident that our feet are planted firmly on the rock that is Jesus, and we have confidence, and we have assurance, and we have certainty, and we have peace, and we have trust that in uncertain times and in a fear-driven world, we can live without fear, trusting that God is in control. And let that be the, the leading edge of our evangelistic thrust as we invite people into relationship with Jesus. Would you join me during these 21 days of prayer and fasting and ask God to show you how you can make a difference in someone else's life for him? Let others see Christ in you. Now more than ever, this is critical because as Paul said, remember, the Lord Jesus is coming soon. We don't know how much time we have left. What we do know is that we have today. We have right now. And we need to be living with intentionality. We need to be living with laser focus to see people changed by the power of God. Live with joy. Put others first. Give up your rights and do everything with the urgency that Jesus' soon return deserves. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the commands that you've given us in Scripture and the instruction on how to live and how to put your words into practice on a very practical level. And I ask that you would help us to do that. God, let us put into practice the commands that you've given us, the, this writing of Paul that we read today. God, help us to understand how to always be filled with your joy. Holy Spirit, would you grow that joy in us and let us become less dependent on circumstances and more dependent on you for the source of our joy. God, I pray that you would help that joy uh, to drive us in life. God, let us uh, let other people see that we are a considerate people, that we're willing to yield our rights, that we're willing to give that up. We're willing to put others first. And God, we're willing to serve them, that they could see, see this external evidence of the inward transformation that you've done in us. God, make our salvation relevant to those around us in the way we live it out. And God, let it all be tied together by the fact that you are coming back soon. 
Jesus, your soon return is something we all anticipate, we all look forward to, we all can't wait for, because Jesus, we want to spend eternity with you. But until that day comes, let us live with the urgency of the knowledge that you are coming back soon. God, let this year, let 2021 be filled with new stories, be filled with life change, be filled with lost people coming to faith in you. And God, let that be driven by our testimony, by our new stories, by our witnessing, by our evangelism. God, I pray that you would use this church, God, use Trilogy in our community to make those new stories take place. And God, I pray that you would use us in, in ways that we never even thought of. Maybe evangelism for us has always been reduced to, well, I'll just invite them to church. But God, in this new season, I pray that you would use us in ways we've never dreamed of before. God, give us creativity, give us boldness, give us wisdom, give us the words to speak and share and give us a life that is overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit that others would be drawn to you. We thank you, God. Help us to live it out this very week as we go into our world and live our faith out loud. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.